from the giant compactor in Toy Story 3, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two men still lost in translation, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Yes, we are still lost in translation. Lost. Mark? Hello. Hello. So I can't see you. There's a stack of DVDs obscuring <laughs> you from my vision. So Panko, I was wondering why you like Panko uh, breadcrumbs yes, over Jap- regular breadcrumbs because they are ja- Japanese breadcrumbs. But they're fluffy. Because fluffy. They are made by passing an electric current through the dough. Yielding bread without crusts. Only the Japanese do all that stuff. It's like the, it's like the all that weird beef that they do. What's that beef that's like nine hundred dollars an ounce? I, I've had that beef. Yeah, Kobe beef. Yeah, th- don't they do it's something the, no, similar no, no, to that? Uh, well, they don't run electric current through the cow. But they massage they, it. They massage it with beer. Yeah, see, see, like it, the Japanese do all these weird things to stuff. You know, here's it can't the thing. just be regular breadcrumbs. Can't just be regular beef. It's got to be like all weird ritualized and done up. Look, I, I I spent three weeks in Japan. Yeah. Granted, this was you know ten years ago, but I spent three weeks in Japan, and I can tell you those people they're screwed up. <laughs> we know that. Anyone they really are. Anyone who's seen uh, Urotsuka Doji, The Legend of the Overfiend, uh, those animated films knows that those people have problems. They really, you know, yeah. there, there's a lot of. Uh, no, there's, I know. There's but, a lot of sexual repression. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of. It's, cr- I, I have a theory about this. I won't go in, into it uh, very elaborately, but I uh, there are a lot of parallels between the issues in Japan and the issues in Great Britain. Uh, you know, sexually repressed, seagoing empires in decline uh, may have something to do with it. So that being said, um, it, it is it is just hot as all hell uh, oh here in Southern God. California. It is just disgusting was, and uh, warm and sticky and gross everywhere. You know what? Honestly, this weekend it was like living on the sun. It was. And I, I kept my air conditioning on all day. By the way, my air conditioning is on now. Yeah, I know, and leave it on. Uh, people can tolerate that hum. Okay. Uh, so we should, uh, we, you know, before we get into the DVDs, we, uh, we have a longtime faithful listener who uh, lives in another part of the world whose name we, uh, we attempted to do justice to, but of course, being the imbeciles that we are, we mangled his name. And he was kind enough to actually send us an audio recording correcting us on the spelling and saying some very, very nice things about us and uh, correcting us on the pronunciation, I should say, and, uh, and uh, saying some very nice things about us. So without further ado, this is, a, this is a new little twist on listener mail. This is like listener voicemail. So we're just going to play a, a selection of this very, very kind uh, clip that he sent us. Greetings, oh DigiGods. Coming at you from sunny Grodno is your number one Belarusian fan, Alexander Burlika. I am recording this message to slightly correct your pronunciation of my last name. As you've already heard, the accent is on the second syllable, so it's Burlika, not Burlika. But uh, don't worry, most Russian-speaking people have trouble pronouncing it. And uh, really, this is just an excuse for me to say for the umpteenth time what a big fan of yours I am and uh, how grateful I am to both of you guys and to announcer Bob and producer Mike and the whole gang at Stupid for Movies for providing us with so many hours of just pure movie fan delight. I gotta say, even though I'm very, very sad to see Stupid for Movies go, at least in its current incarnation, at the same time, you guys really went out with a bang. And that ending, your New Heart-style epilogue with the sucker punch and everything else, that was just priceless. So, don't want to take up any more of your time. So once again, thanks a lot. Keep up the good work. I'll keep listening. Can't wait for the next podcast. God bless. 
So that's sweet. Now, now let's see if we can get it right. It's Alexander Berlika. Alexander Berlika. Okay. Now, now you just mangle it all over I again. I did not. You just Americanized it. I said Berlika. Okay. What did he say? Uh, what did you th- say? There's an accent to it. It's like Berlika. Well, a, but that's you know, very. Yeah, but that we we can't be expected to yeah, pick up well. on the accent. <sighs> well, you know what? It, it's nice to know that we're appreciated on the other side of the globe, and uh, that people follow movies over there and uh, stay on top of things, and and it's just uh, it's reassuring. It uh, helps us feel like we're not just speaking into a void every week. And even uh, if we were, by the way, we'd still do this show. Yes, of course we would. So, uh, Mark, we we've got mu- we've got music. We've got television, we have documentaries, we have movies, we have foreign. Well, you know what? There's a lot of good stuff this a week. A lot it of great stuff. It was a little dry last couple of weeks. Oh my gosh, time. it's been dry for like three weeks, and we've been sitting here going, oh, this is just a fabulous... <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. We, we've got really good stuff this week. Uh, classics, uh, new movies, Let's uh, dive right in. Let's stuff. Do, look at all these great new movies. Yeah, you know Not what? those new... Uh. Well, well, look, hey, no, this is this. Uh, this won't take long. You have, yeah, oh, I'm timing you now. This is one of those timing deals. You have three, <laughs> you have three minutes to talk about these movies because we got too much actual VCI. good stuff. Well, you three know, VCI minutes. Hang v- on, I'm v- not. Uh, no, it won't even take three minutes. Three minutes. Go. It won't even take three minutes. Go. All right, this is from VCI. It's part of their rank collection. And you know, back in the '60s, there was this uh, unbelievably popular film series in England. I, I don't know that it was ever actually that popular here. But uh, it started in the 50s, actually uh, ramped up into the 60s. It ran for a good, solid decade. Uh, it was the Doctor series with Dirk Bogard. And uh, it, we've got a total of uh, seven of them here from this series. They include Doctor in the House. This is not necessarily the order they were made in. This is, these are just the t- Doctor in the House, Doctor in Love, um, Doctor in Distress, uh, Doctor in Clover, in color, uh, Doctor at Large, ooh, in Eastman color, uh, Doctor at Sea, and Doctor in Trouble. And uh, most of them have Dirk Bogart in them. Those are the ones that are worth watching. Uh, some of them don't. They are, I, I guess, as I understand it, based on uh, a novel or a series of novels uh, by Richard Gordon, in any case. Uh, you know what? They, they're... they're Okay, they're fine. They are, uh, they're funny, and they're clever, and they're witty, and they're very British in that 1950s and 60s kind of way. And uh, it's a little bit like almost, uh, you know, television fare at the same time in the United States. But uh, you know what? They've, they are, are uh, very well regarded, and they're kind of revered as a series. And I found them, uh, you know, I didn't watch all of them. I watched little bits and pieces. But there's a, there's a certain nostalgic, kitschy charm to it. And if you, you know, it's, it's sort of like the, um, the carry-on films. You know, that's another one of those kind of forgotten British comedy series. God knows I forgot it. Yeah, see? Here we only had <laughs> stuff like Mon Pa Kettle. That was, the, that was the best we could do here. Anyway, no, so you have this, uh, the VCI has gotten the old, uh, the old Doctor series out of there from the 1950s and 60s, and, uh, you know, go check it out. All right, Mark, Roger Corman's back on the prowl. Yeah! We have a couple of absolutely terrific Corman releases here, uh, courtesy of our good friends over at Shout Factory. Roger Corman's cult classics in both cases. This one is a Blu-ray triple feature, the Women in Cages collection. Uh, now, there are a lot of these women in, in prison, women in cages movies, as we often point out. Most of them were written by Jonathan Demme. Um, the three here that we get are The Big Bird Cage, The Big Doll House, and Women in Cages. 
Uh, ooh, I, lo- I love these bylines. You could never get away with these with these taglines anymore. Uh, white skin on the black market. The dirty ooh. dolls of Devil's Island. I like that. You can meet them for a price. Like, why? Honestly, seriously, why? Nobody would dare do that anymore. Their bodies were caged, but not their desires. They would do anything for a man or to him. Totally right. 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 Anyway, uh, really, honestly, absolutely no reason whatsoever to have these films on Blu-ray, uh, unless you, you, you know, just uh, look. Pam Greer is always worth uh, some Blu-ray. But um, the most interesting stuff on here actually is the audio commentary on Big Dollhouse with Jack Hill, who directed it. And uh, Jack Hill is just a classic old exploitation director, and it's, uh, it, it's a great audio commentary. It's a really great audio commentary. Very informative, very entertaining. And uh, there's a documentary on the making of Big Dollhouse and the Big Bird Cage as well that includes interviews with uh, Jack Hill, among others. Uh, that's just absolutely terrific. So um, for me, it's all about the insights that Jack Hill gives you into a certain era and style of filmmaking that doesn't exist anymore. The movies, you know, not so much, whatever. They're, you know, it's exploitation. But I thoroughly enjoyed that. So, Well, there's also this one. There's the Sword and Sorcery collection from Roger Corman. Yeah. Now, some of these are kind of fun. These are all pretty cheesy. These are all like beefcake, uh, you know, d- d- you know, mm. softcore mm. Conan the Barbarian type yeah. stuff. This is Deathstalker, Deathstalker 2, Barbarian Queen, and the Warrior and the Sorceress. Now, the... Um, the only notable one here is Barbarian Queen because it stars Lana Clarkson. Oh, no. Who was uh, right. murdered by Phil Spector. <laughs> wow. And what a, oh, gosh. And the warrior and the sorceress uh, stars uh, David Carradine, not as the sorceress. Yeah. The folks at Shout Factory did a good job putting together some special features for Deathstalker and Deathstalker 2. This is really cheesy stuff, but uh, you know what? It's good. I like this stuff. It's uh, fun. We have a very, very average coming-of-age uh, romance film here called Skateland. And uh, this is one of those things that you know takes place basically in rural Texas, and it's, uh, you know, it's about kids and falling in love. And uh, honestly, I, it's, I don't know. It, it, there's nothing here that I haven't seen uh, at least dozens of times over the years, and it's just not remarkable anyway. It's very well made. I give it props for being really well made. Anthony Burns, who uh, who co-wrote and co-produced and directed it, uh, certainly knows how to direct actors, knows where to put the camera. But, you know, again, did they, did they have to tell this story? Did they feel that it has never been done sufficiently well to, to tell it? I don't know. Uh, it's on Blu-ray here. Uh, not, not anything spectacular that deserves to be on Blu-ray. You'll probably get just as much enjoyment watching it on uh, DVD. Uh, the only thing that is noteworthy, I would say, is a very good score by Michael Penn. Who Ooh, sh- Michael Penn. Who should write more music? I like him. I, you know what? I have his, uh, the I have pen, his first... The, the Penn brother who uh, does not get into trouble and is not dead. <laughs> and I do have his first album, which is very good. It is. It's, that's the one that included the song No Myth, his there one and only hit. Yeah. Uh, the Fifth Quarter is a uh, lame inspirational drama starring Aidan Quinn, Andy McDowell, and uh, Ryan Merriman. Uh, based on a true story, it's about a. Uh, took place in 2006. It's about a 15 year old, a boy who dies in a car accident, and the um, the brother who sort of picks up the mantle for uh, high school football greatness. And uh, you know, I'm just not a fan of this film. I just uh, think it's cliched. I mean, it's very well meaning and all, but uh, it's cliched. It's got the, the the dead boy. It's got the handicapped daughter. And, uh, you know, the, Quinn and McDowell, of course, are very talented veterans. But um, you know, I just uh, did not buy this movie. 
Rick Bieber is a, a producer, longtime producer, um, who directed this film and did a fairly uh, uninteresting un- job. You know, I love Friday Night Lights. I think I think the movie, not that there's tragedy in Friday right. Night Lights necessarily, but I think the movie Friday Night Lights. I'm saying this right now, Wade. Yes, the best film ever made about football. Friday Night Lights. Yep. Really? Yep. Seriously? Yep. I'm saying it right now. More than, than North. More than North Dallas. Better 40. than North, North Dallas Forty. More than the. You know water. why? Because North North Dallas Forty. I mean, who doesn't love North Dallas Forty? But it didn't really resonate with. That audience. I mean, it resonated as a look behind the scenes of the football. Water, more than the water boy? Exactly. But more North Dallas the 40. Yeah. The replacements. Come on. More than the longest yard? <laughs> I'm telling you, Nor, uh, Friday, I've never seen the TV show, but Friday Night Lights, best film ever made yeah, about football. To, it's a really good show as well. Uh, yeah, Yellow Brick Road comes to us from Bloody Disgusting Selects series. Uh, there are all of these, uh, you know, kind of horror and genre series that we get. And uh, Yellow Brick Road was briefly in theaters. I actually talked about this on the radio at the time. Uh, now out on DVD. It is, um, you know, I wish this were better. I really do. The premise here is it. this wants to be, it wants to sort of wallow in that uh, Blair Witch Project kind of lore. It, it invents this weird little backstory where in 1940 there's this New Hampshire town that uh, everyone just for some strange reason, just the entire town up and wandered up some old trail and never showed up again. They just vanished. And uh, now you got a bunch of people who decide to uh, try and open up that trail in the present day and figure out what happened. And, of course, we all know what eventually happens to them. Uh, you know, it's it it should be a really creepy horror film. Instead, it um, it winds up just feeling almost kind of like a cheat by the end. I have to be honest. Um, but that being said, it's not without its uh, its spooky moments and uh, certainly shows a little bit of flair. I just don't think they ever got the idea right. The execution is fine. They just never got the idea right, and that's unfortunate. But anyway, for you know genre fans, there's uh, again there are a few things to hang your hat on. Probably more of a rental than a buy. Uh, Wade, you know, uh, uh, Pete Hammond from Box Office Magazine calls uh, yeah. the, the conspirator brilliant, riveting, and suspenseful. Uh, Robert Redford has lost it. He's lost his way as a director. I think he's lost his way as, uh, as everything. And in The Conspirator, he tells the story. You know, the, the story of the assassination of Lincoln is actually it's way more interesting no, than it just seems like, oh, Lincoln died. Yeah. That was actually a conspiracy to knock off like the top three members of the government on the same night. Yeah. Right? It was the vice president, I think the secretary of yeah, state. Oh, yeah. It all was, on the same night. It was it was like supposed to be the nine eleven of its day. Yeah, it was yeah. just like, oh let's shoot Lincoln. It was like no, the top it was a big three deal. top three yeah. same night. Yeah. And in fact there's a very good book that um I I heard unfortunately Harrison Ford might want to star in called Manhunt, which is all about the search for John Wilkes Booth. But anyway the Conspirator, directed by Robert Redford, is the uh, story of uh, the only woman charged with the murder of uh, Lincoln, uh, played by Robin Wright. And we all love Robin Wright. However, uh, as he proved with uh, Lions for Lambs, or Lambs for Lions, or Bears for Tigers, whatever mm-hmm. it's called, uh, Redford has just lost his touch. I mean, this thing is just deadening. Means well. A lot of very committed performances. Why does this happen to so many directors when they get older? It really does. You know what? It really, it's when they get older. There's yeah. something about they lose that touch. They, 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 they stop feeling like they have to entertain. They have to teach. But there are some who just get better and better and better. I mean, Kubrick got better and better as he got older. David Lean got better and better as he got older. But some, 
Like Redford's losing it. Ridley Scott's losing it. Dennis Dugan. Den- De- well, there you go. <laughs> you were about to say Dennis Dugan, weren't you? I was, actually. Yes. This is j- Anyway, The Conspirator, uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of decent special features on it. But you know what is just... Is just uh, stodgy and slow, mm. and I just did not buy this thing at all. Well, Sorry, Robert Redford. You're lame. Uh, You're officially lame. We've got a movie here called Super Hybrid, and this tells us exactly where we've come. You know, Mark, back in the day, I, I actually liked the car when I was a kid. I thought the car was a fun film. <gasps> I love the car. That, it, that James mo- Brolin. Totally. And that. here's what the car would do. The car would go, bam, pa pa pa. That was the signature beat go. of the car. Yes. And then, and then at the end... When the car falls into the ravine and it blows up, like the flames have like little eyes on it, so like the devil <laughs> the, the, car. The devil face. Awesome. And then the first scene in the car where the guy with the French horn uh, is trying to hitch a ride, uh-huh. and then the car You're drives by, and then the guy with the French horn flips off the car because he yeah. wouldn't stop for him, and then the car, he stops, and he backs up, and he kills the guy with the French horn. Yep. Who for years, I thought was Billy Crystal. I thought Billy Crystal played the guy with the French horn, but he didn't. I like the, I like the car. Wow. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know that I like the car that much. Awesome. Um, How dare you but, make fun of the car. But I, I also love Christine. I think Christine is a terrific film. Whatever. Keith Gordon is great in that film. Uh, one of John Carpenter's best. Lame. You don't, see, you don't see alignment like this in American cars anymore. Lame. It's going around corners. Bah, 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 bah. That's great. But, well, anyway, Super Hybrid is not as good as either of those films. Uh, but it is interesting to me that we have made a menacing car movie. It's like a cross between... Uh, the car and Christine on the one hand and Knight Rider on the other. And this is like a morph car. It can turn into other cars. It's kind of a stupid concept. But it's weird to me that now to the evil car has to be a hybrid. Uh, this thing never got theatrically released. Directed by uh, Eric Vallette, who's something of a genre director. Uh, did the uh, English language version of One Missed Call. And uh, really the only good thing about this is that it has Oded Fair in it, the Israeli actor from The Mummy and um, uh, one of the Resident Evil films and also the, uh, the first uh, Deuce Bigelow film. I, uh, that I, I like watching him. That's about the only thing I can say about this film. Otherwise, I, it's just it's really silly and uh, shouldn't be around. I, I think you should, uh, this Blu-ray we have here, it's not even a particularly good transfer. I would say just watch Christine. Don't, don't watch Super Hybrid. No, watch the car. Um, the Beaver, uh, controversial small release, starring uh, some guy named Mel Gibson, directed by some gal named Jodie Foster. This was a controversial film because it was pretty much Mel Gibson's first film after his uh, enormous meltdown. And it's got a very strange premise, which is about a, uh, a, a family man. He's a husband and uh, father, and he's kind of hit rock bottom in his life, and he decides to uh, communicate using a, a hand puppet in the shape of a beaver. Aww. And a lot of people made fun of this film. And I have to tell you, although the film is mighty flawed, I- I've got to say that it really is a real movie. I mean, this really tries to be something. I think the problem is uh, Mel Gibson is terrific in it. There are very few actors who could actually pull off this role. Because it is so deeply strange, but Gibson actually does it. You don't laugh at him. You, the thing about the movie is that you're not laughing at the movie. You're not laughing at Gibson. You're not laughing at the premise. You're sort of going with it in the strange places it's taking you. Um, Would it have done better if people weren't hating on Mel right now? I mean, did Mel's private... This is, this is what I find interesting about this. Did Mel's private antics ruin this film's chances for his friend Jodie Foster? Oh, yeah. And, but the thing, too, is that, is that Jodie Foster, I think, is part of the problem. Because the movie 
straddles all of these strange tones. It's a bit of a comedy. It's a bit of a family drama. It's a bit of a, men, a, a mental illness thing. Yeah. It's also just strange. It's, it's a lot of tonal shifts to have to juggle, and she doesn't really do it. So in a way, you leave the movie a bit ambivalent. Um, but I and Jodie Foster puts herself in the film as Gibson's wife, and it's a poorly written role that Foster doesn't really can't do much with, mainly because she's a it's underwritten, and b she's a bit uh, preoccupied directing it. Right. But I will give it credit for actually trying to be good. I mean, it's it's a real movie. It's a serious movie. It's yeah. trying to be something unique and interesting. I just it, it, and so it's a bit of a noble failure. Um, so I would probably say give this a rental and uh, Foster does an audio commentary also Jennifer Lawrence who I like a lot is in this film too as uh, as one of the uh, uh, as a girl who falls for Gibson's son aha uh-huh. so the beaver I would actually say check it out good film conditionally check it out I uh, got a trio of Disney releases here, and uh, the first one, I'm going to go through these fairly quickly because there's no reason to sort of dwell on any of them. Uh, Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, 3D. It, and if you don't think these things are calculated, this is being released precisely three years and four days after it first hit Blu-ray. Uh, honestly, no reason to upgrade. This is a post-conversion to 3D. They're just trying to sell this. Let's Look, let's be serious. They're just trying to get higher numbers on sales of 3D televisions going. And you know what? It's not happening. It's not happening. Who's buying 3D televisions? Nobody. This movie's fun, but it don't... This movie's not fun in 3D. It doesn't need to be in 3D. It's uh, it's perfect in Blu-ray. It's a wonderful little classic and uh, may even be the best thing Tim Burton's ever attached his name to, even though he didn't direct it, but uh, it certainly has his feel. It's a perfect melding of his sensibilities and Henry Selleck's. Uh, it's a great film, but uh, again, this is a Blu-ray 3D and Blu-ray and DVD and digital copy four-disc, uh, big mondo whammy thing that really stick with just the word. You don't need the 3D. Don't need it. Nothing here that isn't better on the other one. Uh, and then we also have the. Uh, I'm I'm ambivalent about this. You are ambivalent about the uh, the the Mel Gibson film. I'm ambivalent about this. It's a 30th anniversary edition of The Fox and the Hound and The Fox and the Hound 2. Um, this <laughs> the is the Yes, this is the 30th the anniversary Foxing. edition Blu-ray and DVD 2 movie collection. And uh, I really, I just don't like the fact that The Fox and the Hound 2 is, is on here at all. Uh, that's very distressing to me. So um, here's what you get. You get, obviously, uh, you know, Fox and the Hound 30th Anniversary Edition on a DVD. You get the Fox and the Hound 2 on a DVD. And then you get one Blu-ray disc that has the Blu-ray versions of both of them. Uh, and uh, I, I, the Fox and the Hound is a sweet little film. Not one of the all-time classics, but a sweet enough film. If you're being a, a Disney completist, you want to have it. But The Fox and the Hound 2 is just completely superfluous and, and junky and crap. And uh, you're really forcing people to uh, take a piece of crap uh, in addition to a movie that they want. So, and it's unfortunate. Uh, it really ruins the whole franchise idea. The one should exist. The other one should not. Great, yeah, Wade. great Blu-ray transfer, by the way. And then this, is, this represents everything that I think is evil about Disney in the current day. Disney of yesteryear, wonderful. Disney of today is, is evil. And how do we know that? The Blu-ray DVD combo disc of Prom. Now, this would be a horror film made by any other studio. Any other studio made a movie called Prom, that's a horror film. That's like people getting murdered at the prom. 
in this movie, it's just it's every uh, just goofy, good-looking, young, clean-cut, hyper-cool kid who's going to wind up uh, shaming Disney with some kind of dreadful act in the future. They're all in this movie. Now, I, I have to say something about Prom. Ugh. Prom is directed by uh, Joe Nussbaum, and uh, Joe Nussbaum used to work for me. Uh, a lot of these uh, people used to work for you. Joe uh, was a, a director uh, on The Man Show, which I executive produced the uh, last two seasons of. Can, can you account for why he made this movie? Well, because uh, he's got a kid. He's got to work. There you go. But uh, the thing with Joe is that he made his start uh, directing uh, George Lucas in Love. He was the uh, director of that short. Uh, and he's very talented, very funny, terrific writer, good guy. And he needs that break where he can uh, actually do something that means something to him. Because if he does something that really means something to him, I feel like he would just knock it out of the park. But you get this prom stuff. And the problem is that how good is this movie ever going to be, really? This is product. This is Disney product. And if you give it a guy like Joe, he's going to make it look good. It's going to move nice. It's going to get a bunch of songs. Kids are going to like it's it. It's like high school musical. It's, yeah. it's, it's aimed at that audience. And I just have, yeah. But I would like to see Joe... Uh, Really, maybe maybe write something, something from his heart that he can then direct. Yeah, and I be think nice. he would, I think he would hit, he would knock it out of the park. Yeah, well, uh, prom is just product that you know you can give this thing to Spielberg. It's it's going to become prom. Yeah, so you can't really blame Joe for it. I'd like still like to see that horror film. I would. I want to see a horror film. And then uh, real quickly before we move on to the last bunch of films, uh, the the new releases. Um, previously, there were box sets, uh, DVD, Blu-ray. I'm going to say this over again. Previously, there were Blu-ray releases, box sets of the entire Magnificent Seven series and the entire Man With No Name series. Uh, and now we get them on individual uh, one-offs in case you wanted to just get, you know, say for a few dollars more and not good, the bad, and the ugly, and fistful of dollars. You just want to watch these two or this one. Um, fine. Then there you go. You can pick it up as a, as a, DV, as a Blu-ray single. Um, Otherwise, the, the box sets are still out there. And, of course, I also have here in front of me the Blu-rays of The Magnificent Seven and Return of the Magnificent Seven, which both feature that fabulous bald pate of, uh, of uh, Yul Brynner, who we adore. Yul Brynner was uh, Ukrainian, you know. Your Magnificent Seven is based on a, a Japanese film called uh, Yojimbo. <laughs> Seven Samurai. <laughs> I know. You're being, you're being weird and obtuse. And I wasn't sure, are you being funny? But you know what I, you know, here's the thing that I love, actually, that nobody, uh, this is one of these little odd anecdotes. Do you know, do you know? Where you're going to? Do you know the things that life are showing you? Do you know, Mark Kaiser, do you know who wrote The Return of the Magnificent Seven? The re- John Sayles. No, no, that's The Return of the Secaucus Seven. Damn. Return- <laughs> wow. Return of the Magnificent Seven was written by Larry Cohen. Really? Yes. Is that why it sucked? Uh, well, it's not terrible. It's not great, but it's not terrible. But la- that was Larry Cohen back when he was uh, just forging his career before he would go on to do things like... Uh, like like uh, X, the, uh, the well, Q, 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 the Quetzalcoatl, Q, Q, the, the Winged Serpent, and before he would do things like uh, Black Caesar and a lot of other... You know, he did all those black exploitation films. He's he been was around forever, that guy. Yeah. And, of course, we should point out he is, of course, uh, the, the, the only surviving brother of uh, the recently slain publicist... In Hollywood. Yes. Um, um, uh, Ronnie Chasen. Ronnie Chasen. Yeah. Bizarre. And uh, that's very, very sad. But uh, so our, our hearts go out to Larry. He's still, he's still got a career, man. Oh, Wade. 
The Perfect Host. I saw this movie. This is David Hyde Pierce. Uh, the only good thing about the movie is David Hyde Pierce, and even he's not that great. This is directed by an Aussie guy, and it's about, um, it is about a criminal who just robbed a bank. He's on the run, and he winds up hiding out in the home of uh, David Hyde Pierce. Who is crazy. Who plays a very a rich and uh, a feat, uh, you know, sort of he's a the bon vivant, and he is throwing a dinner party yeah. when uh, this bank robber... Uh, take some hostage in his own home. And, of course, it turns out that David Hyde Pierce isn't the wimpy, effete yes. New Yorker magazine reading dinner he, party he's crazy. guy. He's actually crazy. Yeah. And my problem with the movie <laughs> is that um, it doesn't really have any internal logic. It's just pretty much David Hyde Pierce being crazy. And that's it. That's all you get. But he's good at being crazy. I guess. Well, you know, but the thing is, is that the, the problem with Pierce and, and what really sinks the movie is that there's really no menace in David Hyde. He's not a yeah. menacing actor. True. You know, so he, 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 he can play the effeminate part, yeah, but he cannot play the menacing part where you're really scared for this guy's life. And, you know, part of the script here by Nick Tomney, he's an Australian guy, and, uh, is that there's a lot of switching of allegiances yeah. and who's going to get the upper hand on who. And in the end, the movie just becomes one just trick after trick after trick yeah. where it just becomes like, Oh, what's the next twist going to be? Right. And after a while, I don't care about the next twist. Tell me a story. That's yeah. all I care about. Don't 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 try to impress me with your twists. And on that level, I sorted. To, I, I kind of started to get sick of it. Uh, but anyway, perfect toast. Uh, you know, one of the films that was a big critical favorite earlier in the year, and which I think is going to make a bit of a comeback at Oscar time. I think people are, are going to really remember this when awards time comes around, because it's still one of the most enjoyable films of the year, is Win Win. Uh, Tom McCarthy, who wrote and directed it, is a former actor, best known for the two Station films, Agent. Station Agent and The Visitor. Uh, the Station Agent, I was not a fan of. The Visitor, I loved. But that being said, I think he's a very, very good director, and I think he's a very sharp writer, and his films all kind of have a similar theme running to them, which is that he takes unlikely people, puts them together, a situation that brings unlikely uh, bedfellows together and forces them to somehow come to terms, learn to better each other's lives, learn to understand each other. And, uh, you know, you wonder how many times he can go to that well, but I'll tell you, he's gone there three times and he's been very successful at it every time. This was his, this is far and away his most commercial film. Uh, Paul Giamatti as, a, uh, as an attorney and a sometime wrestling coach in this small town who um, basically winds up having to uh, shepherd this troubled kid the, through, uh, you know, a, a kind of a turnaround in life. And uh, this kid, you know, uh, is kind of wayward, but he has a knack for wrestling, an unbelievable knack for wrestling. And uh, I just think it's, it's absolutely terrific. Uh, Giamatti is wonderful, and uh, the sporting cast is terrific. It's, uh, it's just absolutely a, a really sharp little movie. And not much, we have the Blu-ray here, and it's a good Blu-ray. It's actually a surprisingly good transfer. This was a Fox Searchlight release, not a, not a real, you know, dazzling visual feast, but it, it comes off very nicely on Blu-ray. And a great conversation on here with uh, Todd, Tom McCarthy and Paul Giamatti at Sundance earlier this year, some deleted scenes, uh, a few other little featurette things, and a uh, music video by The National of Think You Can Wait. Yeah, that's going to sell this thing. Hi, Wade. Uh, oh, we got two more. Um, why don't, why don't, here, jump into, jump into the television. I'll let you uh, get 
get some television going. I'll just mention these last two real quickly. We've got uh, Goodwill Hunting finally out on Blu-ray. It's Blu-ray and digital copy release. This is, of course, a Miramax film, which finally now, thanks to uh, the new Miramax owners and their agreement with Lionsgate, we're finally getting these things out. And the one thing that occurred to me while watching this is, holy crap, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck look young. I can't believe they won an Academy Award for Best Screenplay when they were that young. Now, I can credit a lot of other people for their screenplay and probably should, given what we now know about the screenplay. But that being said, uh, it's still oh, a great... Oh, you're saying that it was ghostwritten yes. by William Goldman. Yeah, just a little bit. Even though William Goldman has denied that to this yeah, day. Yeah, it's because he's being a class act. But anyway, uh, it's still an awfully good movie. Regardless of whether or not that screenplay Oscar is earned, it is a, it's a damn good movie. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a smart movie. It's a heartfelt movie. Robin Williams is terrific in it. Matt Damon is terrific. And even Ben Affleck, who just annoys the crap out of me as an actor uh, more often than not. He's done maybe two good performances in like 30 that just drive me bananas. But he's very good in it as well. And, uh, you know, two discs here, the second one being the digital copy. Forget about it. Uh, Blood Simple, also on Blu-ray, a, uh, a terrific Coen Brothers film, which recently was remade in a very, by Zhang Yimao in a very strange period yes. Chinese film. Not good, by the way. Uh, uh, well, you know, I like it. It was girl, called like Two Men in a Noodle girl, Shop A Girl, a Gun in a Noodle Shop. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but this is still the, uh, the, that was almost more of a weird exercise that he did. This is uh, still a really good film. They did a good job with the Blu-ray, uh, the 20th and MGM people. They kept the grit, the indie grit of this thing because this is one of the uh, films that sort of started the indie revolution back in the 19 uh, in the 1980s and uh, it really it's just it's still a terrific thriller it's just a great modern noir and uh, it doesn't get better than this well there is a there's a four disc there's a four blu-ray box set Mm -hmm. that is coming out of Coen Brothers Films. Yes, there is. Coen Brothers Collection. And Blood Simple is one of the DVDs in that, one of the Blu-rays in that. So maybe you want to hold off then. You maybe want to buy it. Because, you know, the the collection also includes Fargo, Blu-ray of Fargo, and a Blu-ray of Miller's Crossing. There you go. It's good stuff. Yeah, Not Barton Fink. Well, I mean, they worked for a lot of different companies. That's a problem. Yes. Can't get all those people on the same board. Uh, but yeah, anyway, uh, not much by way of extras here. There's an audio commentary with Kenneth Loring of Forever Young Films, uh, which is sort of a very odd and superfluous uh, commentary, and then the trailer. But nonetheless, you know, whether in the box set or alone, you got to have Blood Simple. It's an American indie classic. It totally is. Uh, wait, wait. Oh, you know what, uh, Mark? Before I forget. Yes, ma'am. Before moving to television, there is one last film here. Uh, we almost didn't notice it because it comes in this weird briefcase. This aluminum brief- briefcase. Uh, Hoodwinked 2, Hood versus Evil, was sent to us in an aluminum briefcase, which I'm opening now. It includes chocolates. Here Where? You Give me chocolates. <gasps> it really does. Yes, it does. I'm all over the chocolates. <laughs> and this is the way that they uh, intend to make us notice things. You think maybe they, they, they injected this chocolate with something? I mean, like, it's, it's a Ferrero Rocher, whatever it's yes, called. Yes, Ferrero Rocher. It's a Ferrero Rocher here, chocolate. Can, They're good. Here, use this. This is your lunchbox now. Take, right. that, take that to work every it day. It says uh, Hoodwinked 2, Hood versus Evil on Blu-ray yeah. and DVD August 16, 2011. It's a little uh, a cheap uh, yeah. aluminum case. Yeah, Blu-ray and DVD combo. This is the way they uh, force us to, to take notice of this and hopefully uh, coerce us to say nice things about it. Which is, so gonna, which I, is not going to happen. Which is not going to happen because this film sucks. Well, why do I want this? Uh, but but hoodwink the first hoodwink sucked. Uh, you know it's like these are these things are wannabe Shrek movies. 
Somebody saw Shrek and said, ooh, I think I could do a better uh, fairy tale spoofy thing than, than that. So they made Hoodwinked, which was just so amateur. And this is just as amateur. The only thing here is that they got some great voice talent. Um, you know, Patrick Warburton, that voice always works. <laughs> that just, guy's hilarious. That, just, that, you know what? On The Family Guy, he, he plays Joe, the wheelchair-bound uh, uh, cop. Yeah, yeah. So funny. Well, you, you remember the uh, the little um, uh, extended commercial that he did with Jerry Seinfeld where he does the voice of Superman? Jerry Seinfeld in the animated yes. Superman? He does the voice of Superman in that? It, it, you know, when he, was, when he played the live-action uh, The Tick? I mean, the guy rules. He was putty on Seinfeld. He's the best. He's the best. We love him. Uh, and then also Bill Hader, always funny. Amy Poehler, a couple of veterans from uh, Saturday Night Live. Martin Short, who's always funny, at least when he's talking. Uh, Glenn Close, Hayden Panettiere. So, I mean, you know, good voice talent. But the movie itself, come on, stop. Just stop. Enough with this already. It's just not that fun. But anyway, enough. All right, Mark, let's go TV. I'm throwing this away. Should we give this away? You want to give it away? Yeah. Why would somebody want? No, just no. T- make it a lunch pail. Take it to work. Give it to somebody. Give it to a give it to a, give it to a homeless guy. It'll become it'll become like currency in the homeless world. It'll be like gold or something. The hoodwinked box standard. Fine. Yeah. You're saying I was gonna, I was going to give it away. Okay. Wait. Said no. No. Oh, Captain America. Now, before the uh, the Captain America with Chris Evans, directed by uh, whoever directed that, I forgot. Joe Johnston. Or whoever. Well, there, there, there were two Captain America TV yes. movies. There was one with Red Brown, which we all try to forget about because it was just so horrible. Oh, yes. As if this one, directed <laughs> by, by the great Albert Pune, was any better. This the best the, director this, ever to come out of Hawaii. Yes. This is uh, starring Matt Salinger, who, yes, is the son of J.D. Salinger. Yeah. By the way. Yeah. That is true. Uh, Matt Salinger uh, plays Captain America, who uh, defeated the Red Skull in 1941, but then he's thrown into suspended animation and comes out 50 years later to face the Red Skull again. Basically the same story. It's the the same story. And this movie is just terrible because Albert Pune is not a very good director. This is quite low budget. It is good only on pure cheese. If you want cheese, go for it. um, I'm going to tell you something because uh, there is someone who co-stars in this. And um, right there, I'm going to point to the name. You forgot about that, didn't you? Yeah. Yes, a good friend of ours um, is one of the co-stars, and I will not. Uh, I will not name the name, but I will say that uh, that person and another person worked on a previous film together in this, and uh, I had it on a very, very. Uh, good authority in a conversation that working with Albert Pune was a delight. Yeah, and we, they all well, want to do it again. Well, y- People love working with him. Well, but you know what? There's a theory. I don't know if I buy this theory or not. That the, that the worst, most difficult sets make the best movies. You like, know, if I, everyone's I, having a great time on a film, you're not making a good film. No, probably not. Uh, Twilight Zone Season 5. Wait, here's the thing with Twilight Zone, Twilight Zone Season 5. Twilight Zone Season 5, Blu-ray. Blu-ray. Yeah. Well, they're, they're working their way through the Blu-ray releases now. We're getting there. This uh, is it, Way. This is Shatner, Nightmare yep. 2000. Yes, yes. Um, you know, there are a lot of great episodes uh, here. Oh, yeah. Are you okay? Uh, season 5 is great. Season 5 is terrific. A lot of classics. Lo- I mean, they all have classics, but there are a lot of classics in this, uh, this season. Come on. And um, excuse me, Living Doll. Yes. What's Talking Tina going to do, Wade? That's right. She's going to kill you. That's right. Season five, baby. And by the way, you realize that um, one of the least interesting episodes of the season, Hmm. uh, the self-improvement of Salvador Ross, was directed by Don Siegel. Yeah. 
Don Siegel. Of Dirty Harry and, Dirty and Harry many and other great the, Clint Eastwood movie yes. things. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Richard Donner also directed an episode from uh, season five. Yeah, he, he directed a few, actually. Good well, stuff. there. This is there are heaps and heaps of goodies on here. There are all the goodies that were in the previous releases, all the extras, all the commentaries, all the interviews. They're all here, and twenty new audio commentaries exclusive to the Blu-ray set, uh, as well as conversations with Rod Serling, a uh, vintage audio uh, interview with the director of photography George T. Clemens, and twenty-two radio dramas featuring people who are in some of these episodes. Uh, it's it's amazing. They just packed all that junk onto this five Blu-ray set, and you got to get it. It's that simple. Great. Yep. We love we we love us some Twilight Zone. We do. Uh, now, yeah. before we talk about Wade's favorite show from the seventies, uh, <laughs> let's talk about uh, the complete first season of Nikita. Now, Nikita, I don't know how this thing made it to another season, but I, uh, I guess CW picked up this thing. They got nothing yeah. else going on. Um, they, they just won't let the concept die, and uh, it's interesting that this is now, well, you know, Luke Besson is is milking all of his creations in every conceivable ancillary market for all they're worth. I know, but you know what? This is lame. I'd rather have him make another uh, Nikita movie or something. Yeah. Maggie Q plays uh, Nikita. She's uh, martial arts, and, uh, you know, she uh, kicks butt. Yeah. It's great stuff. No, it's not. It's terrible. Uh, 20- I like Maggie Q. Oh, she's great. And, yeah. of course, the movie La Femme Nikita is, is yeah. fantastic. But uh, this show is not very good. There's 22 episodes, four Blu-rays. Looks good. Well shot. Uh, there's some bonus scenes. There's a commentary by some of the creative team, which means that they didn't get Maggie Q to do a commentary. And, uh, you know, that's it. I just honestly, come on, folks. Do you really need the first season of Nikita? You do not. That is a negative. Season 5 of Spin City. Now, Spin City is finally making its way to uh, bl- uh, DVD, not Blu-ray. Now, uh, Season 5 was the controversial season because this is uh, when uh, Michael J. Fox left the show and was replaced by Charlie Sheen. And uh, I'm surprised that they didn't come out with this back when Charlie Sheen was really making the news, although there is a sticker that they obviously at yeah. the last minute stuck on this yeah. that says uh, Charlie Sheen joins Heather Locklear in the cast. Yeah. Double exclamation point. Yeah. At this point, the, mo- uh, the movie, at this point, the show kind of uh, run it out was, of gas. It was on fumes. Yeah. It, it, it ran out of gas. Although, although Heather Locklear, uh, still hot. Ageless. Well, no, ageless. you know what? Now she's uh, ageful. You know she's what? She's ageful though? now. I got to tell you, it still works for me. And uh, I still have very, very fond memories of Scott Bayo at the Battle of the Network Stars. Throwing that uh, softball and dunking both Heathers, Heather Locklear and Heather Thomas. Yeah, what happened to Heather That was good times. She's a Heather that didn't make it. That was good times. Yeah, that was good times. Uh, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, special edition. This is, of course, not the new one, not the Guillermo del Toro produced uh, and written version of the remake of this thing, directed by Troy Nixie, a guy who had only made a short film, and you can tell from watching the film, then it's just not good, the new one. Uh, oddly enough, this, uh, this, the original film starring Kim Darby and Jim Hutton, which was made for television, of all things, is a lot scarier. 1973 television movie, scarier than the big-budget feature film that was remade of it uh, almost 40 years later. Wow, who knew? Uh, you get, uh, really, it's the same story. You know, a little girl goes down, opens up the, in this case, not so much a, a little girl. Uh, but, uh, you know, opens up the, um, in this creepy old mansion, uh, the subterranean fireplace, and then these uh, pent-up little uh, ancient creatures are unleashed, 
and uh, creep. It's, it's it's creepy, man. It's just scary and creepy. This was directed by John Newland, uh, who did a lot of stuff for television, and this is one of his better one of his better films, actually. And uh, you know, this is part of the uh, our Warner Archive collection, which you can find more out. Uh, you can uh, learn a lot about by going to uh, WarnerArchive.com. But uh, I still think this is a terrific little film. The new one, crap. This one, pretty good and uh, very nicely remastered. So. You know what's not terrific, Wade? Uh, the Vampire Diary Season 2. This is uh, another CW a piece of crap. I'm so tired of that, these things. Uh, Find pretty people. Blu-ray. Find pretty people. Make them vampires. Hope that young college girls and teenage high school girls will watch. Well, this is even worse because in, in the second season they introduced werewolves because the show already wasn't, uh, wasn't Enough like, like Twilight. It wasn't like Twilight. Yeah. You know, here you got, uh, there's a, one of the main characters. She's got like an evil twin or something, like a oh, doppelganger evil twin that they yeah. introduce. Although, you know, it's... it's blah blah the, the shame is that um, a couple of these episodes were directed by John Dahl. You know, John That's Dahl, where he's gone. That's where he's gone to die. I know. Yeah. John Dahl had a very promising film career, did a couple of bombs, and now he's out there doing CW crap. Feel bad for him. I know. He, I mean, he, he has a comeback in him, but uh, it's got to be the right project, you know? Uh, I was a huge, huge, enormous, gargantuan fan of the man from Atlantis uh, when I was a kid. Man, look, I was a kid. Come on, it was cool. It was he was from Atlantis, and he had webbed hands and webbed feet. <laughs> he had and, webbed hands, and you know, it was terrible. It was like a it was a cool sci-fi fish out of water thing. Fish out of uh, water. Oh, this is from seventy six. It was great. This, I totally Patrick Duffy, man, before Dallas. And uh, I never heard of Patrick Duffy, but he does. He did a great job, you know. I love those loner heroes. He's from Atlantis. He's the no, last. No, well, one. the thing is, is that is that like his in in the show wasn't Patrick Duffy like an amnesiac who's like he thinks he's the only surviving member of Atlantis or something? Isn't he? Is he from Atlantis? Does he think he's, he's no? From he's Atlantis? from Atlantis, he's from man. Atlantis. No, he is from. He is freaking from Atlantis, and he's got gills, and he can breathe underwater, and you know, it's it, it, basically what's going on here is that. In the wake of The Six Million Dollar Man, The Six Million Dollar Man changed everything in television in the 70s. And suddenly everyone wanted to find that show that was about, that, that had a little supernatural quality to it, a little sci-fi quality, like he's a hero not like other heroes. He can do fill-in-the-blanks. And so everybody was trying to do a Six Million Dollar Man thing. And that's sort of what they were, what they were going for here. Uh, the show didn't really last. It, it, it died very quickly. But uh, we do now have the complete television series and the uh, complete TV movies collection um, because there were some, uh, some after-the-fact movies. That uh, you know, the, the four four total films that kind of wrapped everything up uh, after the fact. So um, you know, I I still like this. I still think it's it's very dated. I'll be honest with you. It it feels like something from the seventies. It feels like a relic and an artifact. But there's a lot of fun to it. And uh, if you can kind of take a trip back in time and uh, just enjoy the the cheesiness of it, you'll uh, you'll enjoy some of the great guest stars. Uh, Kareem is in this. Pernell Roberts, Pat Morita, they all show up. It's the 70s, Pat man. Pat Morita, wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off, absolutely. And uh, I have to say something about Belinda Montgomery, who plays, of course, the, uh, you know, sort of the quasi-love interest uh, scientist lady. Loved her. She was great on the show. The Just worst. terrific. The worst. The best. She's still around, by the way, Belinda Montgomery. I know she is. She's still around. Uh, Running Wild Season 1. Uh, this didn't last. Um... <laughs> this really didn't last. 
uh, because uh, yeah, you know what, Will it, Arnett it, is on a new show now. Well, it, it felt very contrived. It was, oh, yeah. he's the crazy party guy. She's the one who loves well, uh, eco crap. You know, this is what happens. This was created by the people who did uh, Arrested Development. And when that show was canceled, they had to come up with something else. And, uh, you know, they're always under pressure from the TV networks to come up with things, anything. And you can't be creative at the drop of a hat. So very often they'll just go, I don't know, how about a, how about a show about a guy? He's wacky, he's crazy, and she's not. And, and, and It really is like they, I'm sure they, 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 they have a hat. Yeah. And inside the hat are scraps of paper with like, you know, either yeah. occupations or characteristics. Exactly. He's a blank. Yes. She's a blank. Yes. And they just pick two pieces, out of, the, two pieces of paper go. out of the hat, and that's the show. It's, it's a TV uh, a la Gene Rayburn. That's very true. Yep. <gasps> Gene Rayburn with the stick mic. Yeah. <laughs> Which Jimmy Fallon has brought back, by the way. Stick mic? Yeah. Awesome. Jimmy Fallon will do his little, he'll do these little mock game shows, and he always comes out with a stick mic. What time do you have to watch that show, Jimmy Fallon? I mean, seriously, come on. 12.30 to 1.30 every night. <laughs> when do you go to sleep? You go to sleep at like, do you really? Yeah, after Fallon. And then I wake up at 7. Oh, God. Yeah. Anyway. That's my life. Uh, Parenthood, season two. This was a uh, highly touted show uh, from the good folks at NBC. Uh, it uh, stumbled out of the gate a little bit, mostly because it got pushed back to midseason because uh, Moira Tierney uh, got cancer, unfortunately. Mm. And uh, she is uh, fine. At least I believe she's fine. I hope she's fine. But uh, the show went on without her, and now we have season two. Um, is this show as funny as the movie with Steve Martin and Rick Moranis? Absolutely not. Directed nope. by Ron Howard. Um, this has pretty much been blanched of its wackiness and turned into something that is just, uh, you know, uh, about being a parent. Deleted scenes, audio commentaries, uh, it's basically fine. There is a new season coming out. He's kind of limping along. It's not doing all that great. But, uh, you know, if you like this show, if you're, uh, if you're a parent, maybe you'll see something in it. Uh, we got some docs here to roll through real quickly because we also want to get to some uh, some really good foreign stuff. I mean, there's some legendary foreign stuff here. Uh, Lloyd Kaufman, uh, better known as the godfather of Troma, uh, Lloyd, the last great exploiteer who built Troma into the uh, gigantic uh, cheesy empire that it is today. Lloyd Kaufman is an expert in how to make crappy movies cheaply, copiously, and become incredibly rich and successful at it. Uh, he wrote a book called Produce Your Own Damn Movie, and this is now the uh, film version, the two-disc DVD uh, box set of Produce Your Own Damn Movie, uh, which is the, you know, this is the third one of these own damn movie uh, things that he's come out with. But i got to say this, as much as we want to be dismissive of this and just kind of uh, say, well, you know, that Lloyd, he's a wacky nut, he's crazy, don't listen to anything he says, nobody else can do it. Um, there's really a lot of inter- interesting stuff here because you get interviews with not just Lloyd Kaufman, but uh, people who really know what they're talking about. Uh, now, you're going to laugh because Avi Lerner is interviewed in here, and it's like we, we rip on Avi Lerner all the time. But Corman is here, Cronenberg, Monty Hellman, Joe Dante, um, the Duplass brothers, uh, Caroline Barron, who was the producer of Capote, started in the... Uh, in oh, K-Pot? K-Pot? Capote? Oh, I thought it was pronounced K-Pot. Uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, anyway, no, it's it's interesting. Now you, you got to take this a little bit with a grain of salt because it's you know the, the Kaufman wants you to buy this thing and so that he can make money off of it. Um, but some of the interesting stuff here, there's a documentary on Herschel Gordon Lewis, which I found interesting. I, I know a little something about Herschel Gordon Lewis. 
as he figured into our own documentary, Schlock, many years ago. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of the guerrilla filmmaking stuff I think is a little dated in this day and age. But nonetheless, you know, there's something, uh, there's a lot to learn from here, if not for how to make a movie, but how they made them back in Lloyd Kaufman's uh, heyday. Well, don't forget, you know, back when Lloyd Kaufman made a film, you, you, you couldn't just pick up a digital camera for, no. you know, $100 at Best Buy and go make no. yourself a damn film. No. You had to really, you had to get the, I remember years and years ago where when I was doing little tiny short films, I would call. Uh, these film uh, processing houses, and I would ask for yeah. short ends. Uh, that's, that I'll, was it, man. That I so remember that. Oh, geez, I remember yeah, doing you'd that. Call these. Yeah, yeah, we have a couple hundred feet of short ends. You want sure. it? Hell yeah. Sure. And but you know nowadays you, you you're not calling post houses blind begging for short no. ends. You're going and going to Best Buy. Get yourself that's a real beautiful it. camera. And if you, uh, speaking of beautiful, you like this segue, uh, if you are a fan of the Dalai Lama, you can get a lot of wisdom and contentment out of a couple of these new, uh, basically it's just the Dalai Lama, you know, sharing his wisdom with you. And uh, one of them is Contentment, Joy, and Living Well by the Dalai Lama. These are all part of the, uh, the Meridian Trust series. And the other is a practical way of directing love and compassion. And uh, you know what? You don't. Th- both of these are long. I mean, this is a you know e- each one is about two and a half hours long. But if uh, you don't, a little longer, I guess it is. It's like two hours and three quarters. It didn't feel that long. Um, but you know what? Uh, you don't have to be a Buddhist to to really learn something from this. This is a guy who ha- has a great deal of wisdom. He's uh, he's lived a, an eventful life to say the least. And uh, these are these are really quite lovely. So if you know somebody that's uh, that's troubled and downtrodden. Might not be a bad thing to kind of grab these and uh, and watch it with them. Um, I am not hugely a fan of uh, Super Size Me. I thought that was a little bit of an annoying movie, but Morgan Spurlock won me over with the uh, with Palm Wonderful presents the greatest movie ever sold. He really owns that concept, doesn't he? He and, went to town with it. And we have to point out the name of this movie is. Palm Wonderful presents the greatest movie ever sold because that's the whole point of the movie is that he's going around trying to find someone to actually sponsor the movie. He's trying to fund the movie while he's making the movie by finding a sponsor to buy the title of the movie, to basically be selling the title of the movie among other things in the movie. Awesome. It's really a a fascinating uh, look at marketing. Uh, and it tells you a lot, really, about the mindset of people who uh, who are willing to do this. Because uh, you know there are a lot of people who will just say, "Tell him, shine on, dude. I know what you, I know who you are, and I know what you're doing." And there are others who are kind of like, "I don't, you know what? You could rip on us, and it's still free publicity. So let's go, let's have at it." It is. Uh, it's a it's a sharp little doc. Uh, didn't really last very long, but I think it's it's fun and it's especially fun in Blu-ray because uh, it just the, the, all of the the detail and all of the advertising really pops. And I didn't expect that to be the case. And the last doc that we have here is uh, Cameraman, the life and work of Jack Cardiff. If you don't know who Jack Cardiff is, you have no business being a movie fan. Jack Cardiff is the man who basically invented color cinematography. He changed everything. Uh, he is one of the most legendary figures ever. What, uh, what Greg Toland was to black and white cinematography with Citizen Kane... Uh, Jack Cardiff was to color cinematography with stuff like Black Narcissus and the Red Shoes and the African Queen. Uh, incredible documentary. It is just a beautiful history of an incredible man, the people he worked with, the movies he worked on. Uh, if you have a collection of great documentaries about the history of movies, this has to be there. It must be there. And you've got to get it in Blu-ray because otherwise you're not doing justice to the cinematography. Right? 
Kinda. Right. Uh, we've got some foreign films to wrap out with here, Mark. Uh, let's see. Uh, did you see Poetry? Uh, I did not. You did not see Poetry. I'm, I, 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 you know, I'm going to talk about Poetry for just a second. I was hoping you had seen it because um, I, I, there are some things in it. This is a Korean film by Lee Chang-dong. It won a uh, screenplay award at uh, Cannes the year that it was released. And I... Uh, I find it to be charming, but I find it to be... Um, here's the thing. Korean films, I really like them because they're tweaked. Oh, right? totally. They're totally tweaked. Right? Right. <laughs> um, and when they're not tweaked, they're a little bit sentimental. And um, this one, this actually got 100% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Did you know that? They, wow. They, they didn't brag about it on the... On the yeah. Um, but this is... Uh, this is basically about a woman who's fighting Alzheimer's, and as part of her uh, part of her therapy, she takes a poetry class to kind of try to you know stem the uh, deterioration, and it it winds up being very kind of sentimental and charming and sweet, maybe a little bit too much so. And I found I think I think sometimes those tendencies to, to make movies that are really tweaked when you're not going tweaked, I think the Koreans tend to wallow a little bit in the saccharine and the uh, the maudlin. But I agree. But it's a, it, it is a very sweet film. It's beautifully photographed. Uh, this is from Kino and a great Blu-ray. I got to tell you, the photography is just first rate. I agree. So yeah, uh, but I was I was hoping I get your your opinion on it. But I agree. That. Uh, and then uh, by sheer coincidence, or maybe not. A much better film by the same director, Lee Chang-dong, is out in a, a, a Criterion edition. And uh, clearly Criterion must have coordinated something and said, hey, look, they're, uh, Kino's releasing uh, poetry. Let's just, let's just jump on that and get, and get something with the Lee Chang-dong fans because there's so many of them. I agree. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but this is uh, this one uh, Best Actress at Cannes for the lead actress and uh, basically plays a uh, piano teacher who loses her husband and then moves in with her uh, with her son, and uh, it, this is less sentimental, much more uh, kind of intense drama, and I really really appreciated it. And then, uh, oh, we're running out of time. Uh, in a better world, Mark, were you not as fond of this as I was? Oh, that's is the uh, Susan Beers film. Yeah, you yeah. love her. Oh, I loved it. She's great. Susanna Beer. Yeah, this was great. I mean, I prefer After the Wedding, the film that was nominated but did not win the Oscar. But this is the uh, Susanna Beer film that did win the Oscar this last year, and uh, this is a Blu-ray DVD combo pack from Sony Pictures Classics. Um, I, I don't think this is necessarily the best film. Incendie, I think, was a better film. But this is still a damn good movie. It's a damn oh, yeah, good totally. movie. I mean, these two kids and the you know the, the broken families they come from and the you know the, the troubles the parents go through, and uh, all that stuff in Africa. The one father he's a he's a you know doctors without borders. Uh, occasionally goes to Africa several times in the in the movie and encounters this political situation there and comes home and encounters this very different situation with his son. All of these cross currents are basically just telling you the world is a screwed up place and it is what you make it. And uh, some wonderful acting here. Susanna Beer is just terrific with actors and uh, I think this is a great movie some people thought it was too sentimental too there's nothing wrong with sentimental nowadays Wade sentimental apparently, is apparently good apparently not uh, let's see running uh, quickly out of time oh should we you know hell with it I'm gonna let's see we'll save this for next week uh, here I'm gonna make a mention of uh, one other Criterion release here and then we'll uh We'll save the other stuff for next week. This is the Warped... As long as we're talking about tweaked Korean films, let's talk about uh, tweaked Japanese films. The Warped World of Koryoshi Kurahara. 
Uh, this is a uh, uh, this is the Eclipse Series 28 from Criterion's Eclipse Series. If you don't know who Koryoshi Kurahawa is, you've got to get this. At least rent it. The five films here, Intimidation, The Warped Ones, I Hate But Love, Black Sun, and Thirst for Love. Some of the coolest movies you will ever see from the uh, Japanese New Wave series. Uh, Japanese New Wave era, I should say. So that's it. We're done. We'll see you next week. <laughs>